All right, if you guys would open up your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Um, we're taking a little break from First uh, John. Uh, Mark chapter 1, if you don't mind. Actually, let's start, let's start at verse, we're going to do verse 14, and then we'll just pick up from verse 1 a little later, and then we'll go over it a little bit. But um, before we start to... In verses 13 and 14, you got a little time gap right there, by the way, um, that Mark doesn't really fill you in with. He just jumps straight ahead. He's, he's, uh, he's excited to, to just show you all the things that are going on here. And so uh, there's about a year uh, time period. So it's the first year of the ministry of Christ. And he jumps immediately right into the second year of Christ and the ministry that he's doing there. And so uh, John chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4 really cover all these events that have happened between verses 13 and 14. Um, Jesus, he had gone to Nazareth, right? He went to Cana of Galilee to turn water into wine. Um, and he went to Capernaum, where he spoke to the future apostles in John chapter 2, verse 12. He went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover in chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, there, obviously, he turned over you know, the tables because they were making merchandise and uh, all that stuff. He made a whip, and he began to drive out everybody, you know, the money exchangers and everybody. I'm pretty sure that hurt, right? <laughs> I wouldn't want to get hit with the whip. But Jesus, you know, he met Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and he encouraged him um, on the importance of being born again, right, of what salvation is. He didn't even answer Nicodemus's questions, by the way. He just jumped straight ahead and talked about salvation. But he met the woman at the well in John chapter 4, which I think was uh, uh, very... It was just perfect timing for everything and, and how he did. Well, he's God, right? So all of that happened in Mark chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. So as we read, just and you're like, wait, when is this going to happen? It's just Mark's not recording that specifically. Um, so this, like I said, is Jesus' second year of ministry here. And so let's just jump into it. The preaching of Jesus would be uh, the first thing I want to show you guys here in verses 14 and 15. And notice the time of his preaching. Let's just start in verse 14. It says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So the time of his preaching was after John was put into prison. And in Mark chapter 6, it's going to give us more information on John the Baptist and exactly what happened. Um, he just briefly, he divorced, uh, or I'm sorry, King Herod divorced his wife, uh, ended up with his brother Philip's wife, um, Herodias, and uh, it, if you get into the study of who this woman, basically his niece, and it's just, it's nasty. John the Baptist calls him out on it, and of course he's going to call him out on it, right? And uh, ends up getting beheaded, right? And, and persecuted, um, and it ended up costing him his entire life. Uh, in fact, Mark gives us a little bit of information on John the Baptist. So let's just look at your Bibles again. Look at verse 1. Let's just go ahead and go... In verse 1, by the way, this is Mark. His real name is John, 
but that's his surname is Mark, um, and he's the one who wrote this uh, gospel here. So the beginning, look at verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So quoting Malachi 3.1, and then he quotes, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare in the way, uh, the way of the, will, uh, the Lord, make his path straight, Isaiah 40, verse 3. Uh, John, he came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And notice, by the way, in verse 4, um, we're just going to read through this, but uh, preaching always comes before repentance and what is preaching it is telling you the need that you need salvation right it's telling you that you need God in your life but there's a problem and what's that problem it's sin so that's more so what preaching is teaching is more you know going verse by verse through the word of God which you'll get uh you'll 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 hear a lot of preaching throughout the word of God but um preaching is more for the sake of salvation right so if I start preaching to all of you and let's say every single person in here is a believer already it doesn't really make sense right unless unless it's just a good reminder of it just encourages you if anything but it's more so to the loss and so if I notice there's a lot of people in here that don't know the Lord all of a sudden there's a parade coming in here and they all sit down um I would just be tempted to throw my notes away. I'm just going to go over the gospel, right? That's that I will. That's what I would do. Um, and I would be more so preaching, you know, for salvation's sake, that they would know the Lord. Uh, but what we're doing right now is actually uh, teaching, going through the word. Um, and I, I think we need to be more like John the Baptist and how he spoke out for righteousness' sake. And that's a good thing, right? When you speak out for righteousness, what's going to happen? You're going to get persecuted. And it's just, it's just going to happen. Uh, people are going to speak evil against you, especially if you're you know, going uh, for the Supreme Court, right? <laughs> it's going to happen. Uh, what you try to do, what is good, they're going to come against you for evil. It's just, it's, it's just crazy. Um, but secondly... Notice the place of his preaching here. According to verse 14, the place of his preaching. It says, Jesus came to Galilee. Now stop right there. Every time I read this, it just fly over it. This time I finally decided to study it. Um, it's interesting since 750 years before Jesus came on the scene right here, the prophet uh, Isaiah made a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 1 and 2, and he says, Nevertheless, the, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Very interesting. When it says that Jesus came into Galilee, um, I don't think it's necessarily talking about a location, but more so speaking of a fulfillment of prophecy as a whole, because what did Jesus do when he entered here into Galilee? He preached light 
to those in darkness. And he presented the gospel, the good news, right? And no wonder Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 22, or I'm sorry, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus came to bring light, to make known the good news to all humanity, right? From Genesis, we were doomed. <laughs> we were in sin, in our own sin, in our own iniquity, we were lost. And so Jesus, immediately, the first, you know, third chapter of Genesis, immediately God has a plan to redeem mankind back to himself. And this is part of that prophecy from back in the Bible from of old this is all coming to fulfillment because God has took on human form and he's, he's here with us now being a light to us, the world, right, who are in darkness. And understand it's only through Christ and because of Christ Jesus that we have this opportunity to be made right with God. We now can take his righteousness and allow his righteousness to be accredited to our account. What's our account? Well, it's zero <laughs> because we can never uh, uh, we can never reach the standard that God has for us, right? Although we're good people, right? We're great people. We're good in our own view, in our own eyes. We're we're great, and we're going to make it to heaven because we're simply good. But when we come to heaven, we're going to come to find out it's not about being good. It's about knowing Jesus on a personal relationship, you know, basis. And so if you have a relationship with Jesus, what's going to happen? He accredits, accredits his account, which is perfection, to your account, which is perfection. And guess what? The only thing that's going to hold you back from allowing that to happen, and by the way, this happens a lot to a lot of people, is they, they're, all, they're all good and great with believing in who God is, but to actually receive his perfection to your account, even though you're a dirty, rotten sinner, right? You, you, their understanding is, wait a minute, I get to go to heaven being a horrible person based on the fact on what Christ did on the cross for me, and it's hard for them to grasp that. And what they want is, no, I can be, I'm a good person, right? And, and, and they want to justify that they can earn their salvation, right? And so the only thing that could hold you back from actually believing in what Jesus did on the cross, right, and rising again the third day and receiving it, because it's a gift, right? Romans says it's a gift, um, eight chap- uh, chapter 8, verse 28, and uh, it's a gift. Grace is a gift. But guess what? The only thing you can choose in, in not receiving this gift is pride, right? Pride is going to keep you from receiving a free gift. I mean, it's free. Who likes free? I like free, right? Um, and, and, but, but to receive a free gift from God, which is salvation, you need to humble yourself, right? Humility is a beautiful thing. I, I kind of uh, flew through this right here, um, but in verse 4, speaking of John the Baptist, I think he was a great example of humility, right? Jesus obviously is the ultimate example, but um, he's six months older than Jesus, and yet, you know, they're cousins, and yet it says John came baptizing in the wilderness and he's in preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, 
Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. This is a beautiful picture, by the way. They're confessing their sins to one another, right? 1 John 1, 9 talks about the same thing. If you confess your sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive you of your sins. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 as well. Um, and, but look at verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And I think this speaks of humility itself and the, the way he chose to live was that of a lowly person, right? It wasn't trying to be number one with the, the, the next fashion statement. And what's the new coolest thing? Oh, you wear a hat upside down? Whoa, right? And he wasn't even into it. He didn't have the influences of this world holding him down, right? He was, he was just being himself and, and, and doing his own thing. And he didn't need to be a part of the in-group, right? Where people live to try to be a part of the in-group, right? They know the person's name who's part of the in-group and they try to please that person to be a part of a group that, that really, it's just, it's silly. But anyways, that's like high school, right? Everyone's trying to be a part of something. Um, but notice in verse seven, it says, and he preached saying, there comes one after me who is mightier than I. See the humility right here? Uh, and whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. That's why he was so great. That's why he was, he's the last prophet, by the way, of the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus even said he's the greatest of the prophets. That's, whoa, that's, that's pretty great to say. But this is, he is unworthy, right? Unworthy even to come and be a servant which is the lowliest job of the day, to even take his sandal strap off. I mean, that's pretty amazing. It says in verse 8, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And, and truly, you know, we as the church know about that today. If you're born again, the Holy Spirit will reside within you and, and live and abide in you and you and in, in him. And uh, and he'll guide you. He'll convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He'll lead you in the way you, you ought to go. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing. But uh, John was preaching a baptism of repentance. And it was, a, it was a wonderful thing. But he was humble. And I want you guys to catch that because, you know, if we don't humble ourselves and repent of our ways, um, then we're, we're, we're in darkness and willingly we choose to spend eternity apart from Christ, apart from the Lord. And once we realize that Jesus died on the cross, you know, the, and, and for the penalty for our sin was death, and he took that penalty for us, right? And we understand that he was raised the third day, and we understand if we choose to live for him, then we accept this offer of righteousness, it's, it's, a, it's an offer that only the humble of heart can actually receive. Uh, but those who are prideful, they can't receive grace. Did you guys know that? God has graced us with amazing gifts. One and the ultimate of salvation. But you can't even access those gifts if you are prideful in your heart. Right? So if you're all high and lifted up like Isaiah 14, like Lucifer, thinking he's all that, and he's going to be seated on the Most High, and, and uh, you, you can't access his grace. 
Um, it's, it's a beautiful thing if, if you are humble. Let's come to the third thing here. Uh, the message of his preaching. This is speaking of Christ here. The message of his preaching. Notice in verses 14 and 15, um, it says in verse 14 again, uh, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, what was the message that Jesus preached? Well, it was the gospel, right? According to the end of verse 14 right here, he's preaching the gospel. So gospel simply means good news. That's it. Uh, and it's, it is good news. Since we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, um, Jesus came to give us life and, and that more abundantly, right? That's what John 10.10 10 says at the end. And so the gospel message that Jesus preached really involves three things right here, according to verses 14 and 15. If you read it, you'll, you'll, you'll see it right here. Number one, it involves the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Did you guys catch that in verse 14? Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. By the way, this word kingdom, the kingdom of God, it's used 69 times in the New Testament, and it's referred to the kingdom of heaven, right? So kingdom simply means uh, rule or reign, um, so speaking of the rule and reign of God over heaven and over earth, over everything, right? He, he reigns over everything and everyone. But the problem is with the Jews at this time is that they were expecting their Messiah to come, their king, right? To come to this physical world and establish his rule and his reign physically, uh, right? So uh, therefore overturning, you know, the Romans totally and and getting them out of bondage but the messiah wasn't there to establish his kingdom physically he was there to establish his kingdom spiritually right so they should have known this by the way jesus even said uh, um, uh, a couple of them right in the bible he said you guys should have known this right and and uh but uh so he, he cared more about delivering them, by the way, not from, you know, the bondage of Rome, but more so out of the bondage of sin. That's why he came, to redeem mankind, right? Back to himself. It's a love relationship that he's all about. First John chapter 4 talks about God is love, right? And that's, this, this is his nature. To, he was going to do this nonetheless. He had to do it. This is who he is. So Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of, he- of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know how you could catch getting, you know, establishing a physical, you know, kingdom uh, with that verse right there. So obviously the kingdom of God is a, uh, of the spiritual realm, right? Not of the physical. And, and uh, by the way, people actually think that Jesus has already established his kingdom right now. We're living in the millennial age, they believe. Yikes. <laughs> if this is the millennial age, right? Where, wow, um, what is that? All millennialist, and there's a few other people that believe that, that that's happening right now. It's pretty scary, but 
I'll leave that up to you guys there. But So not only does it pertain to the rule and reign of God, right, but spiritually on earth and in heaven, but now uh, it's... It's, uh, it's speaking to you and I individually, right, where it pertains to us as believers. And I think we need to ask ourselves, you know, are we allowing God to rule and reign over our lives? Are we allowing him to rule and, and, and reign in our lives, or are we ruling and reigning in our own lives? You know, it's a, it's a good question. If we're submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's, there's, that's a beautiful thing. But if you're only submitting to him as Savior for eternity's sake, right? I want to go to heaven, sure. So I'll, I'll submit to him as Savior, but not as Lord, then you got a problem. Because Lordship demands obedience, right? And, and understand, he, he can't be just your Savior. He needs to be your Savior and Lord, Lord right? Lord over everything and every one of your life. He wants you literally to die to yourself, right? A seed can't grow unless it dies. You're a new creation the moment you do choose to die to yourself, meaning you give up, you repent, right? You turned around and you walked into his direction, uh, which leads us to the next section here. Secondly, it involves repentance, repentance. Notice in verse 15, uh, it says, in saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so, repent, this word is used 34 times in the New Testament. Uh, it means to change your mind about your sin, right? And to make a U-turn from where you are in your sin towards righteousness and begin to walk in righteousness, to be having a consistent walk with the Lord. And, you know, he needs to be your everything. It, this was John the Baptist. It, that's a, that was his heart cry in his ministry, right? Repent, right? Turn from your wicked ways, sinners. <laughs> I can imagine him being just straightforward in people's face, right? Where if you did that today, you would be in jail, right? Or dead, but he, I love John the Baptist, his, his heart when it came to repentance. But it wasn't only his heart. It was Peter's heart in, um, in Acts chapter 2, verses 37, 38, right? It was to repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus, repent. Uh, it was Jesus' heart as well that man would repent of his ways and turn. It's the message throughout the Bible, right? It's, it's repent, turn from your ways and turn to the Lord. And nobody, by the way, wants to hear about this. Nobody wants to hear that they're wrong, right? Just talking to all of you guys right now, you're like, come on, why are you talking about repentance? <laughs> it's not a fun subject at all. Are you, I'm about to leave. You guys want to leave with me too? Let's get out of here. But it's, it's not a fun subject at all. It's, a, it's something that we don't want to hear about, but it's something that we need to hear about. Um, you know, realizing that, by the way, realize the basis of you being wrong or right, it's not based on, you know, well, it's not based on a lot of things. It's not based on feelings, right? Because, well, I feel that it's okay to do this. I don't feel that it's wrong, right? So we don't base truth on what is right and wrong on our feelings because your feelings collide. It's not based on a popular opinion poll, right? Well, everybody else is doing it. I mean, 
Uh, God will understand. He'll justify because I'm walking in their ways and we're all doing it together. So what is he going to do? Dump us all in hell? I'm pretty sure he'll be just. And, and so in their minds, they tried justifying their own stance before God in their own ways, in their wicked ways, really. But sin is going to blot out your mind. It's like drugs, right? It just kind of, and it, it, you can't see anymore. You're like, whoa, I can't. Is that you? (laughs) That's what sin does. It makes you immune to the things of the world and immune to sin, and and, and it makes you feel like you're okay. Um, But let's say even, what if the law says it's okay to do? Well, the law says it's okay, so I'm okay to do it because the law says it's okay. Wait, what? No. We as believers, we base our whole basis on what is truth is based on the word of God, right? That's the line in the sand. That's, it's just the word of God, right? And that's where we stand. So uh, are, are we willing to repent? Are we willing uh, to do what is the right thing to do, right? And turn from our ways, our wicked ways. And you know what that is if you're in sin. You know what it, you're doing before the Lord, and that's causing that's hindering your prayer. That's not only hindering your prayer life in, in your relationship with the Lord, but it's also damaging your, your relationship with whoever you're with or your family and your friends and your work. And you can just see the, the decay of sin when it comes in and it creeps in, doesn't it? And we all have done it, right? We're all perfect experts at sin. Um, but when we allow it to come in, we don't even realize we're backsliding. We're falling away from the Lord and we need to every now and that's why I love communion. Love it. Because I fall apart. <laughs> I think of the cross and what Christ has done. And I realize how much of a sinner I am. Right? And if I don't do that on a regular basis, man, do I drift. And I don't even know I'm drifting. I'm thinking, look at me. <laughs> and then God's all... Whoosh. <laughs> and he has to knock some sense into me. But... 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So true repentance, it involves godly sorrow. That's what it basically says, right? And worldly repentance, where does it lead? Well, it leads to death. And so worldly sorrow is kind of like being sorry that you got caught, right? Aha, you were doing, right? And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, <laughs> right? You break down after you got caught and you admit what you did. That's more like worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is, is coming before you get caught and saying, hey, I confess that I did this, this, and that, and, and, uh, and I'm sorry. You know, I've, I've made a change in my heart and my mind. I'm not going to do it again, and I apologize, and, and here it is. That's godly sorrow. That, those who do that, I admire. I love those. Those people are, I'm like, you're my friend, right? <laughs> I want you around me because, you know, there's an influence that people have. Um, so let's go to the third thing here. It's, it's belief, Belief. Notice in verse 15, it says at the end here, repent and believe in the gospel, right? Believe, have faith that true salvation is believing in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, right? His blood shed for you and I, and he was, 
he rose again the third day, that you and I would, would, would have a relationship with him. And really, um, that Jesus Christ is God Almighty come in the flesh. First John makes it very clear that you're not even a believer if you choose not to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, um, it's a beautiful thing. Let's come to the next section here, um, dealing with the calling by Jesus, the calling by Jesus. And that's going to be in verses 16 through 20. Um, Jesus called two sets of brothers into ministry. And let's look at the first set of brothers in verses 16 and 17. Uh, if you have your Bibles open, and it's Simon and Andrew. Um, notice in verse 16, it says, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Uh, we're told in John chapter 1, verse 44, that Peter and Andrew were fishermen from uh, Bethsaida as well. And that's a whole area as well. But look, look at verse 17. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So notice the invitation was a command, by the way. Um, and as free will agents, they made the decision, the option, right, uh, to follow him. And by the way, back then, if a rabbi, a teacher, right, would, would say, hey, come follow me, it was like free tuition, right? You got free schooling. They're going to take care of you shelter-wise, food-wise. They're going to watch over you. So when they say, you know, come follow me, it's, that was an opportunity to take up, right, to, to, to seek the Lord. And notice that they do obey the command to follow him. Notice the inference here is he would make them become fishers of men. So did you guys catch that? Jesus said he would make them become fishers of men, right? So he would empower them. He would enable them. He would equip them uh, to do whatever Jesus has called them to do. <clears throat> and understand that when Christ gives you guys a command, he will always enable you uh, empower you to fulfill whatever he's commanded you to do. Isn't that great? It's amazing. Um, he doesn't joke around. He doesn't laugh at us when we, when we fall short. He doesn't tell us to do something and then, you know, make us fall. And then we fall and he's like, ah, ha, 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 right? He's God. He's not man, right? That's something I would probably do to my kid, but that's for me and my own evil heart, right? But, but God is not like us. He is God. And it's always, you know, it's always going to be his power and his enabling by his, the Holy Spirit in us to fulfill whatever he's called us to do. And it's a beautiful thing. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through, and that's the main part, it's through Christ Jesus, right, who strengthens me. Where does our strength draw from? Christ. How many things can we do? All things. And who does it come through? Christ Jesus. And so our strength is in, through, and because of Jesus Christ in our lives. And I, I love, thank the Lord for that. Ephesians chapter, oh, there it is right there. There you go. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power, notice this, in the, in the Lord and in the power of his might. Right, so uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 also states, 
at the end there, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, and because Christ is in you, he's the hope of glory, right? He's, he's our hope. As we obey God's commands in our lives, he's going to enable you and I to complete whatever mission, whatever command that he has given us to do. He will do it. Isn't that great? So he's called you to do it, but he's going to empower you to actually fulfill it. I love that. Um, here's a verse that broke me down today. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, is that beautiful? Man, if you just stop to just absorb that verse, it's like, whoa, Lord. I mean, how many times can you say thank you to the Lord? And, and whatever he's called you to, he is faithful. He is able. He is willing to complete whatever it is. He's, he's begun the good work. He's going to finish that good work in you. And it's, it's oh, I love it. Um, let's look at Simon and Andrew's response here. Let's go back to Mark right here. In verse 18, notice they say, they they. They decided, you know, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And so immediately they said, let us pray about this, Lord, and let us talk to our family and get back to you in a couple of weeks. Is that what they said? No. (laughs) What did they say? They say, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Wow. How could they have done this? They had faith to follow him. Did you guys know in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, and my, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. They didn't have to worry about, oh, you know, how about the business and who's going to run it and, and uh, you know, do we have to hire servants to do this? What about, should I go pack my stuff up right now? Should I hold on Jesus, right? Did they say that? No, they didn't say any of that. In fact, that reminds me of Jesus when he says, you know, he's, he's speaking of the, there's the virgins with the oil and, and uh, you know, some have the oil and some don't have the oil, right? But those who were ready, they were welcome to the wedding. And, and that's what God has called us to, to be ready. We got to be ready. He could come at any moment, right? At any second. And it's a beautiful thing for me. I'm like, hey, man, thank you, Lord. Maranatha, right? But there's some people that are like, oh, Lord, you know, actually, do you mind waiting just, you know, a couple more years? I got to have babies. I got to finish my career. I got to do this. And I wanted to also do that. And it's, if you're not willing, when he says, come and follow me, to immediately drop everything at that moment and follow him, then maybe you're not fit. Obviously, it's his heart right? He, 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 uh, his will is that none should perish, right? That all should come to repentance and, and really have a relationship with him. But the, people have a stronghold in their life. John the Baptist, he chose to live a lifestyle that was simple, that had no stronghold in his life. He wasn't turning back, right? And, and I think that's something we should pray about and sh- something we should question our own hearts in is, you know, am I bound to the things of this world or am I ready for the, the, the liftoff, right? <laughs> am I ready to get out of here? Uh, because he can come at any moment. Uh, the second set of brothers 
is James and John? And that's in verses 19 and 20. Let's look at verse 19. It says, And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So uh, notice in verse 19, right? They, so they're mending their nets, and they're, you know, their father's there. In Luke chapter 5, verse 10, it says, And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, this is Peter, Do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So James and John were partners with Peter and Andrew. Now, I think that's significant. Why? Because I always thought when I read my little children's books, you know, Bibles, this was a tiny little boat, and these guys were just doing a, you know, fun little, you know, little string inside the water, catching a fish, you know, per day. These guys had partners. I mean, you're, you got to be a big business to have partners. I've had businesses growing up, and, and I know how it is. When you're a small guy, you're a small guy, and then you have other people running it for you, but that's, a, that's the point that you get partners, right? And that, I'm not saying I'm big at all. I don't have anything. But, um, so it seems like this was a huge business that they had going on. They also had hired employer, employees working for them, right? Hired servants, and they, they had boats, they had nets, they had uh, employees, they had partners. So th- it sounds to me, uh, from my own imagination, that it's a lot bigger than what I thought it was. Um, and it's very interesting. Notice in verse 20 again, And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So notice they left their father, the hired servants, which was the employees, right? And followed after Jesus, right? So they left not only their jobs, but they also left their family. And, and they left it all to follow Jesus, uh, in fact, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I want to show you something really quick. Um, Jesus makes a powerful statement here, you know, and, and it takes it a step further. It's not just about, you know, forsaking family and forsaking friends and forsaking all that you have. Uh, Jesus really... He just wows you every time he talks, doesn't he? In Luke chapter 14, look at verse 25. It says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, he doesn't mention grandchildren, so that's good. And his own life, sorry. Also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Uh, wow. You read that and you're like, whoa, this is intense. But this is actually a, high, uh, what is it called? A hyperbole. Um, where Jesus says you ought to hate your family, right? So what he's meaning here, it carries the idea that if we desire to follow Jesus Christ, right, when he says, come and follow me, it, if that desire that we have uh, is, is uh, we're able to, you know, we're willing to forsake all and just follow him for, you know, 
for who he is, that we might lean on and depend on and trust in him alone, and that's it, our love for Christ will be so much greater than our love for our family, right? So your love for God is like, boom. And But your love for your family, I mean, come on, you grew up with your family. You love your brothers, your sisters, your mom, your dad, your whole family. And that love is it's enormous compared to everything else in the world, right? Compared to everything else, your family is like, that love is so strong and so powerful but now that you are with God that love is so much greater that in comparison to the love that you have for your family doesn't it seem like you hate your family right that's kind of the idea of what he's saying right here Um, so uh, I I think we got to question our own hearts are we willing to follow Jesus right now if he called you you know, are you able to give up all that you have? And really, think about it. Think about your career. Think about your bank account. Think about your children, your home, your vehicle, everything, right? Are you willing to give it all up? I've come to realize, you know, it's not necessarily about giving it up. Then it is being willing to give it up, right? And I noticed those who have actually given it up, that God had given it right back to them in the, right when they gave it. And it was like... They're like, wow, all that, and I just got it back, and it was like, yeah, it was a test, <laughs> right? And they're like, oh, man. <laughs> but I think of the rich young ruler, right? When, when Jesus you know, came up and wanted to follow the Lord, be, you know, uh, to, to be a disciple, basically, and, and follow him. But he said, go and sell all that you have. Then come and follow me. Because why did he say Because he knew his heart. But I think, what if? Instead of, the, you know, walking all sad and like, you know, I guess not, heaven's not for me what if he actually went and sold it all and then came and followed Jesus? I personally think that Jesus would have given him all, it all back. I think he would have had it all back and he would have been like, what, this whole time? Yeah, it's, it's a test of the heart because, you know, uh, we need to just be willing to let it all go, right? It seems like, you know, it's, it's, it's more, it's not about the action, but more about the heart that's behind it. You guys, you guys understand what I'm saying? So, uh, Jesus didn't choose the most, you know, intelligent people, by the way. And I love this about Jesus. He didn't go up to the most, you know, the, the professors only or the intelligent, you know, elites, the most, the generals. And he didn't go to all the people who would, uh, you know, of course God would pick those guys. But he came to people like you and me, right? Or, Sorry, I, I put myself with you there, but, you know, assuming you're with me there, right? But um, he, didn't, he didn't come to all the, the, the big elite people. He came to the common man. And, and I love that about the Lord. And why does he choose people like you and me? So that he can be glorified in you and I. When the credit comes our way, we, we rec- recognize it's not us, Right? immediately we're like, oh no, you thank the Lord, right? You praise the Lord because that, uh uh-uh, I couldn't have done that. That's the Lord who did that. Immediately he gets the glory. And I think that's why he uses people like you and me so that he can be glorified in it. And and who are we, by the way? You know, think about it. I I was reading in um, Psalm chapter 8 and chapter 9, and it's kind of a repeated thing throughout the chapters in Psalm where David's like, Lord, you know, when I observe the heavens, and, you know, the sun, the moon, the stars, and, and I look at, you know, myself, who, am, who is man? Who is man that you would, you know, come to the cross and that you would die for us? Who are we? Really, if you consider your ways, 
who are we that God would actually give up his life for? You know, and if you really realize who we are, we're nothing, right? But, but there's people who actually think they're something, and they are something else, right? They, they consider their careers as something that identifies who they are, or their, their children identifies them as a parent, or you guys get the picture, right? But our identity as believers in Christ Jesus it's in Christ Jesus, right? It's not in ourselves, in our ability, in our whatever we have, right? It has nothing to do about who we are, but everything to do about who he is. Understand, it's not about our ability, it's about our availability, right? That's who he's choosing. Who is willing to go? Who would go for me? He says, I'll go. Lord, I'll, I'll take a stand. But okay, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to go through this, you're going to go, but you're there with me, Lord. That's all I care about, right? He said, who wants to go? What, what does that mean? What did we just talk about when we first started? He will enable you and empower you to do what he's called you to do, right? So immediately, if he calls you to it, he will fulfill, he will complete what he has begun in you. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing. Let's end with this, the, the, the last portion here is the teaching from Jesus, the teaching from Jesus, and that's in verses 21 and 22, and, and really there's three things here. Number one, notice the place of his teaching. The place of his teaching, notice in verse 21, go back to Mark, um, it says in 21, then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he taught. So, uh, they are in the synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus is teaching, right? And in Matthew chapter 9, we're told, you know, Capernaum is actually um, uh, the place where that's his own city, basically, right? That's, that's where they set up camp. That's where they, that's their headquarters, basically, where they, they did a lot of stuff. But notice Jesus was a teacher. And, and that's what we do here at Calvary Appleton is we teach the word of God. And that's why I'm so grateful for this church. Pastor Dwight, he gets up and he's like, to me, he's a rock star. I'm, I'm still, my eyes are like, wow, that guy, right? It's not, he doesn't have to even be up here. You could just be with, walking with them and he's like shooting Bible at you like crazy. And it's like, wow. But I love how we go through the word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Why? Because we're able to receive the whole counsel of God. And it's through the teaching of the word of God that you and I are equipped for the work of the ministry, right? We become complete and perfected by the word of God. It's the word of God that does that work. And I would beware of these churches out there with the lights and cameras and, you know, fog machine and all the, you know, confetti and whatnot. You know, you go to the, their church and I think they purposely choose not to go verse by verse and t actually teach because they're hiding something. What's going to happen if you actually go over verses in the Bible that is talking about that church? The whole church is going to be like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> What's going on here? Right? So many of them, you know, uh, are not teaching God's word for a reason. There's a motive behind it. And we, we as believers, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, we got to be like Bereans, right? We got to take everything back to the word of God and allow God to teach us, allow him to be our teacher, 
because he is the great teacher, right? And, and uh, so as we teach through the word, the Lord will show you what to do. He'll show you where to go. He'll give you the discernment. He leads us and guides us, doesn't he? So he's not going to leave us in a place where we can't grow. He'll, he'll direct you and get you out of there. Um, and he knows what he's doing. That's the second thing here. Notice the time of his teaching. The time of his teaching. That's in verse 21. Look at, look at 21 again. Um, it says, And they went into Capernaum, and notice this, immediately, immediately. Mark always gives the, that urgency, right, about everything. He's very descriptive in these, uh, you know, he's talking about the people were astonished, you know, they, they like, whoa, and Jesus was astonished back at them and their disbelief. And throughout the book of Mark, you'll catch that. But uh, notice immediately he taught on the Sabbath. And the Jews, you know, they'd come together, they'd teach the word of God on Saturday, really the Sabbath, Friday evening to Saturday. But we teach on Sunday. Why do we do that? I, I, you know, obviously on Wednesdays and really Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, throughout the whole week we're teaching with the Word of God. We're, we're talking about the Word of God. But mainly corporately we gather Sundays and Wednesdays, right? But why on Sundays? Because the early church did that. The early church gathered together. They commemorated uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by the way, Sunday would be the first day of the week. And so they gathered together, and thus that's why we gathered together. But uh, I want you guys to catch this. Um, the Sabbath is simply a day of rest, right? And, and for you and me, the Sabbath, our rest, is not about a day. It's about a person, about Jesus right as a believer and and so Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 it says for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation so Jesus is our rest he is our peace right and so yes we worship him on Saturday we worship him on Sunday and Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, because we don't care about the day, we care about him. He is our Sabbath, right? He is our rest. He is our God. So notice, by the way, uh, the results of his teaching. Notice in verse 22, um, it says, and they were astonished at his teaching. Astonished. That word astonished it's used 13 times in the New Testament, by the way. It's a compound word, elk, uh, meaning uh, out of or away from, and pleso, meaning to strike or smite, right? So you put those words together, it's a compound word, and it carries the idea of being struck, of being smitten, uh, away from, out of the place you are at now, and so either physically or mentally, wherever that state may be. So these guys were shocked, right? You guys could use your own terminology. They were knocked off their feet, right? Like, whoa! They were astonished at the teaching of Jesus. Why? Because he taught in the power. He was teaching the word of God. And that's exactly why they were astonished. Notice in verse 22, it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You see, the scribes would teach under a authority, but Jesus was speaking in authority it was a big difference authority by the way this word is mentioned 103 times in the new testament and it means power it means strength 
It means superhuman, right? So why was Jesus teaching so powerful? I mean, how did that happen? Um, because he's not only the word, but he was teaching the word, right? And, and then we know in Hebrews 4, uh, 12, what does it say? It says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, um, by the way, in, uh, what was it? Luke chapter 9, uh, I forget which one it is. Um, chapter 4, verse, it's somewhere in chapter 4. But he's, teach, he's, he's teaching out of Isaiah, right? And, and I love it. He's, he's teaching a lot of scripture, right? And, and uh, that's the importance. That's the reason why we stress the word of God. It's very rare if you guys come to church and you guys are going to hear, let me tell you guys about a, a, a story before we begin the Bible study. Oh, and that reminds me of another story. And by the way, let's watch this movie. And also let's tell another story. Oh, and wait, here comes a clown. Oh, I'm going to be riding out on my Harley Davidson now. And then you're like, what? We never even went through the word. <laughs> it's not going to happen, by the way. But we're, why? Because we, we understand the importance of the word of God, right? And it's what a blessing it is. Um, but I love how it's not the person speaking, right? Where, because where does the glory go to? It goes to the Lord. It's about the word of God that the person is speaking of that is so powerful. And if, if you want to be powerful in what you do, just give the word of God, right? I, I love it. People ask questions. You don't even need to answer them. Be like, oh, the Bible says, right? <laughs> just, just keep quoting scripture. And it's, it's the most powerful thing. So I'm so grateful, uh, again, uh, that, that, uh, you know, I'm, that the Lord called me here. And, and uh, honestly, uh, just watching the work that he's doing in the church is just a beautiful thing. And I love all of you guys. Have I told you guys that? I love you guys. Um, and just thank you guys for, for who you guys are and the fellowship that we have here and how strong knit, you know, of a body we are. And uh, again, how blessed we are to have our pastor and um, just to go through. He's going to be going through Mark, you know, verse by verse. I was supposed to go verse 1, but I actually picked up in verse 14, so I apologize. He might, I don't know if he's going to go back in verse 1 and start over again. But he intends to go verse by verse with us there as well. But I already know he, he covered all of most of chapter one, chapter three, chapter. He did a whole bunch of them, right? Um, so let's just stand, if you guys don't mind, and let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Again, Lord, we're, we're truly grateful. We would be lost in darkness apart from you. Thank you, Lord, that you are the light of the world. Lord, you show uh, the things that we ought to see, Lord, you reveal to your servants, to your, your, your children, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you call us friends. And uh, you're here uh, that we might have a relationship with you, to know you, Lord. And every time we get to know you just a little bit, um, we're astonished as well. Um, and it's just, uh, oh, Lord, it, it, uh, the more we're in your word, it burns our heart to know more of you. And uh, no wonder, Lord, because you're, you're our creator, you're our father, and uh, we love you, Lord. I, I ask, Lord, that you would continue to, to teach us your word, continue to reveal to us the things that, that you want to, Lord. And uh, I pray, Lord, that we would be obedient to the calling that you've given us. If there's anybody here that doesn't know you, Lord, I ask that you would continue to uh, 
uh, just convict their heart, Lord, of the sin that they're in, that they would turn that over to you, that they would look to you, and that you would, by your spirit, Father, empower them um, to live the life that you call them to, Lord. Just thank you for who you are and what you're going to do in our church here today and, and throughout the days, Lord, in Jesus' name. And also ask that you would um, be with our government right now, Lord. Be with uh, the things that are going on. Uh, you be with our military and uh, just our nation as a, as a whole, uh, that you would, uh, um, you would be our peace, Lord, that we would look to. And um, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.